believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. Verse 22 of chapter 21 of Deuteronomy says this. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Now, in this context, for the nation of Israel, in a covenant with God, a society in a promised land, their land that God's given them, this is civil law. So this is a type of law, capital punishment, that you deal with in state courts and things like that, or different countries in human history. But it'd be the idea under the laws given in the moral law, excuse me, the civil law, that there'd be a just judgment, this person committed murder, they committed rape, murder, kidnapping, things like that, that were punishable by death, They've been found guilty, and they are going to be publicly executed. It's capital punishment. And so in this capital punishment, this would be a hanging. They would be hanged. And, of course, hanging has been, long been a, a form of capital punishment in the human race. But it is the death of a violent criminal. It is society under God's law in this covenant removing them from the planet so they're not a threat to repeat that offense to other innocent people. So often we don't want to deal with difficult conflicts legally because like, I just, I don't want to have to confront this person that raped me or whatever, this person that stole all this money. But the truth is, if you don't confront them, they'll probably repeat that crime to someone else. And that's why it's so important where you follow through on things like this. I once had a man, my wife and I were leaving Calvary Vista and a guy was in our car. It caught us off guard because we were leaving church. So it's in the parking lot next to Calvary Vista. It was an auto repair place that they allowed the church to use. And we're happy leaving church like you're leaving church in a good mood. And we come on our car and there's a guy in our car trying to steal it. And he said, oh, I had the wrong car. And, you know, you're caught off guard in those situations. If you understand, you understand. Like, I wasn't really head on a swivel, razor sharp for this moment. And then Jennifer's like, no, he, he was trying to steal our car. So he's walking away. I go, hey, you, man, what are you doing in our car? So he ran up this hill across busy East Vista Way. I ran after him. And he went up a hill. And it was me and him in the dark. And he pulled a knife on me. And I said, in Jesus' name, you put that knife away. And the knife disappeared. Then he came down the hill, and he's trying to get away from me, and I was following him. He was Latino. And so in Vista, here's a white guy going down the street, ton of Latino, stop in Jesus' name. And Vista is 70% Latino. So all these cars started pulling over, and these guys were coming out trying to give me a hard time. I'm like, hey, what are you doing, man? What's going on? I'm like, he's a criminal. He's trying to steal my car, and he pulled a knife on me. In Jesus' name, stay away and mind your own business. And we walked along East Vista Way, past 7-Eleven, past uh, Bobier. We went about three blocks, and finally the cops came. I explained everything, and they arrested him. 
And then I was going to have to go to court and testify in this situation. And I was very nervous and unsettled about this. And I must tell you, when I went to the Vista court, how relieved I was when it came sentencing that he came in and to his credit, he came in before the judge because I thought I was going to tell my side of the story. He came in handcuffed there in the courtroom and the judge asked him how he pleaded and he said, guilty. I cannot tell you how relieved I was when he pleaded guilty. I mean, I didn't even sleep the night before. I was so anxious over the whole thing. But in that process, I learned a couple things. There's power in the name of Jesus, not to fear evil men, probably not to chase violent criminals again next time. And that you need to do the right thing because I'm not doing to avenge myself on someone trying to steal my car because we gave that car away and it, to someone to use and it got hit by a drunk driver and destroyed. It was Jennifer's car when we got married. It was a cute little blue bug. It was a cute bug, you know? And we loved that car. It was my little surf car, but he was trying to steal it. Then we gave it to someone in the drug and alcohol ministry and when it was parked on their street, someone totaled it, a drunk driver totaled it. And that's just the way it goes. But that was our private property. And we've already seen in the law the value of private property and the importance of private property and how God decrees private property that we're allowed to have that. Don't move the boundaries. That's private property. And so it was a very difficult time for me. It was very unsettling to people coming at me on the street, threatening me. And all I could do was say in Jesus' name, and it worked the whole 30 minutes. So praise the Lord for that. So I'm telling you, so often with violent criminals, if you, you've got in Jesus' name, and after that, then I don't know, I don't know, like it, it's, it's worked for me a couple of times in very serious situations because either Jesus is going to save me right now or I'm a goner. And in that situation, the knife disappeared. It was never found and he pleaded guilty. But what the Lord showed me is you need to testify because he cannot be allowed to get away with this because criminals repeat offenses. And I say all this in the context of what we're reading here because this is capital punishment. In the law, when someone's, they, they did something very evil. The person that would hang from a tree, in the context of this passage, this person did something very evil, very evil. They didn't just steal your wealth like people come from India and panicking elderly people to go take all their money out and tricking them. They didn't do something like that. They did something violently evil like rape, kidnapping, murder. And while I don't like these topics, they are in the Bible, and this is God's law for dealing with these things in the Mosaic Covenant in the Bible. He hangs. You hang him. Now, there is capital punishment by stoning, but this is capital punishment by hanging, which is kind of the idea the Romans had with crucifixion. The idea was to take criminals, violent criminals, and execute them publicly to strike fear in the people who were under Roman subjection that they wouldn't repeat the same thing. That's the idea of the cross. And, you know, like when Hitler marched through Europe and all that stuff and they would conquer Ukraine or Yugoslavia and these places, any collaborators, any like Yugoslav, like Tito's Yugoslavian partisans, they'd catch those guys, they'd hang them up right there and they'd hang them in public and they'd leave them hanging all over on the streets and stuff to strike fear in the people. This, there's nothing new under the sun. This would conquering people do to other, I mean, the Mongols did it to the Russians and so on and so forth. This is how it worked. So in this context, we see a couple interesting things. It's, it's for a violent criminal who's been tried and found guilty for capital punishment. We also see that the body is not to hang overnight. So there's something about the criminal, even the criminal, their body being out overnight that would defile the land. So in a way, there's actually kind of mercy here 
Because again, like when Hitler went through Yugoslavia, it got him to Russia late, which is why he didn't reach Moscow that first winter, and the rest is world history. But he was so angry with the Yugoslavians, or the Serbs, particularly the Serbs who part of Yugoslavia, that they because they fought him, that he just bogged down making sure he punished everybody everywhere in that land, and he was six weeks late invading Russia, which is how he came up short of Moscow by about 20 miles when the winter set in in early December. But he left those people hanging on the lamppost to strike fear in people. So in this context, again, a very mature topic, but it's important to understand it because we're moving toward Jesus on the cross. So stay with me. Capital punishment, it's the right thing to do. In God's law, the civil law, you take their bodies down before nighttime falls because their bodies would defile the land. You've administered civic justice, crime, public punishment, to restrain future criminals, and to bring peace upon the land, and as we saw on Tuesday night, to remove the blood guilt on the land as well for the violent crime of the individual, what they did. The human experience is messy, and human government's messy, and human justice is very messy. But it has to have, you have to have law and order, because we know in the last days we're moving toward disorder and chaos, but God is a God of order. Now, this passage could be taught just like that in its context. And the application would be like, hey, don't you just know when you do evil things, there's a consequence for it. And if you've done something violent and you go to jail for a while, that's the way it works in, the, in God's universe. So don't do evil crimes. We could say that. But what's so fascinating about this passage for us is in the New Testament, this passage is expounded by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul to bring us to Jesus and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And particularly young people, last week when we were here with me, we saw that Jesus is the prophet. Remember, him you shall hear, and he'll give an account for how you hear. Well, tonight, Jesus is the one that's accursed, hanging on a tree. So you can keep your spot here in Deuteronomy, but you can turn with me to Deuteronomy, excuse me, to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll see what the New Testament says about this passage in Galatians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, you can. And this is what we read in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to give you the context. In the context of Galatians, Paul is explaining that we don't save ourselves. No one's saved by good works, but they're all guilty sinners, and we can't save ourselves. We'll come back to that. And he's talking about being justified by faith, not by being a good person, world religions, or human philosophies. He's talking about the issue of sin, and you have to be saved from sin by Jesus, and he's the only one that can save you. That's the overall context. And then he says this, because in the context of the Galatians, they thought they could keep the Ten Commandments, the moral law that we've been studying in Deuteronomy. And he made very clear that if we could save ourselves, then Christ didn't need to die on on the cross. In fact, he said, we know that a man is justified by the works of law, keeping the Ten Commandments, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That was chapter 2, verse 16 of Galatians. And we believe that Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the good works of the law of God. For by the works of the law of God, no flesh, that is no human being, can be justified before God. In other words, no one going to heaven because they're a good person. We're either going to heaven because we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ or we're condemned to hell. It is that simple. If we could save ourselves, the law would show that we could save ourselves, but we can't, and we'll come back to that. So now, later on in chapter 3 of Galatians, with that background, it says this, For as many people who are under the works of the law, like the Jews, are under, they're under a curse. 
They're under a curse. They're not under a blessing in their context because they thought they could keep the law of God, the moral law, the civil law, the religious law. They thought they were justified by, before God, that they were without sin and they could justify themselves. This is what the Pharisees were like, and this is why they hated Jesus so much. For as many as under the works of the law, chapter 3, verse 10, Galatians, they're under the curse. There's a curse in that. And what they mean by you young people under being under the law is they're not going to be under Christ. They refuse to be under Christ and to be saved by faith. They're going to be under the law, the Ten Commandments say, this is how we're getting to heaven. They're rejecting getting heaven being under Christ. They're saying we're going to get to heaven because we're good people. So you can put all the world religions there and all the self-righteousness of men and women there as well, their philosophies. Okay? So they refuse to be under Christ, but they're under the law, that they're a good person and they're going to heaven because they're good. And he says this, but as many as are under the works of the law, they're under a curse. There's a curse there. For it is written, curses everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In the law of Deuteronomy that we've been reading, it says, if you don't do all of them, you're cursed. Well, of course we don't do all of them. We'll come back to that in a minute. But everyone says, well, you know, even Mary Poppins said she's practically perfect in every way, but practically perfect in every way, but she wasn't, right? Being facetious there, but we all say that, well, no one's perfect. Right, no one is perfect. But have you ever talked to someone who thinks they are? You ever talked to someone who thinks they have no sin in their life? I have. He was actually a pastor. And he put his arms around me and said, Some, son, someday you'll understand the truth like I do. I don't sin. And that's ended a great ministry because that was a ministry of Sunriders, the surf movie. And he was the pastor over the movie, not a Calvary guy. And I put his arm off my shoulder and I thought, that guy is creepy weird. And one thing I know, young in my faith, is that we all sin. And therefore, I know this guy is way off. He absolutely thought, and he carried himself like he was perfect, and the rest of us poor blind sheep have not arrived. And that's how the Pharisees were toward the common people, and that's why they loved Jesus and had no connection with the Pharisees. So in this context, we'd call that person a Judaizer because that's what Paul and the apostles had to confront in the early church because they went to church and they said, well, Jesus is good, but he, you get Jesus so you can be saved by the law. So he's saying you're not going to be saved by the law because cursed is everyone who doesn't keep all the law. So you just come short once, like tell your mom a little lie, tell your parents this, steal that little thing that was theirs or whatever. Just, the sin is in us and the sin nature proves itself. And so that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. So it's progressive. So if you're under the law, you're under a curse. And curse is everyone who does not continue in all that's written in the book of the law. Look, we've gone through Deuteronomy. We can't do it all. Like I keep saying, it's not saving us. It's a, it's a great way to live our life in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we sure can't do it in the flesh. It's hard enough trying to even live those things out in the spirit. It's a lifetime journey to love our neighbors ourselves. And as this text progresses here in Galatians, he says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Okay, because 1,500 years from Mount Sinai to the time Christ came. So what we mean by justify for younger people, it means they're not, that no one can stand before God and say, I'm going to heaven because I kept the Ten Commandments. No one can say that. Because God himself said the just shall live by faith. That's what he said in the book of Habakkuk after the law was given. Now that phrase in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, the just shall live by faith, is a very important verse. Habakkuk said that around 500 B.C. during the captivity of, of the Jews, during the Babylonian captivity. 
That's a very important verse because that verse is quoted by three different New Testament writers to prove that we're never saved by being under the law and doing good works. That we have to be saved by faith. Faith in the promises of God and the person of God. Not in ourselves, but in what the Lord has promised. So he goes on to say in verse 12, yet the law is not of faith. So see, we can't We can't earn our way to heaven and say we're being saved by faith. The two are diametrically opposed to each other. Either we can earn our way to heaven and be under the law, or we're under faith in Jesus Christ, and that's how we're saved and going to heaven. But the two can't be merged. So yet, verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man who does them, and we can say the woman who does them, shall live by them. If we're going to be under the law and say we're going to heaven because we're good people, we have to have perfection in all that we do. We can't come short once. That first little white lie when you're 27 sinks the ship. You're done. That one little thing, that's it. You're done. So it goes on to say now, verse 13, and here's how we get our text from Deuteronomy tonight. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of God's law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, quoting our text from Deuteronomy tonight, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's our verse from Deuteronomy. And not only is it quoted in the New Testament, it's quoted as an apex of a theological thought being built. And this is the apex of that thought. It's not like used randomly, like just sort of randomly in there, like uh, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, quoting Proverbs chapter 3 in Hebrews or something. This is a building theological statement that we're saved by grace according to faith in Jesus Christ, building, 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 and that you can't have faith and works at the same time to be saved, works of the flesh, and this is the apex. So when the Holy Spirit's building this case that we have to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and be under faith and saying if you're under the law, you're cursed, but if you're under Christ, you're saved, and they can't, there's no middle hybrid, an ambiguity of the two, that's impossible. It's either under the law and cursed or under Christ and saved by faith and justified by faith. If you're under the law, by, if you're under Christ by faith, then we realize And the apex of this whole thought process, building, building, building theologically, that Christ became the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is him who hangs on a tree. This passage from Deuteronomy is quoted by the Holy Spirit from black and white version, if you will, the Old Testament, to full color and the richest level to tell us that Christ is the one who was cursed and hung from a tree. And even as when he was crucified, Pilate said, I find no sin in him. He was innocent. They released Barabbas instead. Barabbas was the one who was cursed. And there's a Barabbas in us all. I've done that study. He represents humanity. Barabbas is going to be hanged from a tree because he's a criminal. He's a murderer and a thief. He's a traitor. He's a conspirator. And he gets let off the hook for free. And Christ is when they say, crucify, crucify. But wait, remember when we did Leviticus outside last summer? And the story about the two birds for leprosy, because leprosy speaks of sin. So when you would declare a leper clean from their physical leprosy, you brought two birds. And the one bird was sacrificed. The blood was shed and then sprinkled on the other bird. And that bird was released. So God gives us these imageries 
to help us understand what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then again, the New Testament says that God made him who knew no sin. He's not cursed. He said, don't think I came to cancel the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He did keep the whole law, every part of it. Jesus didn't lie once. He didn't give sass to his mother. He, he, he paid his taxes according to the rules of the day. Jesus never, see the father, there's no shadow of light or turning with the father. Jesus is the light of the world and he doesn't walk in darkness. There is no darkness. God is light and him is no darkness. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the moral law, the civil law, and the religious law of the law of God. But we haven't. But he fulfilled all of it. Never a bad day. Never an incompletion. Never a bad attitude in third grade when he had a fever. He never retaliated to the kids that bullied him on the playground in fourth grade. He never did that. So when it says that Christ made him, that God made him, Christ who knew no sin, become sin for us, that we could become the righteous of God, that's what happened. He took that we should have been on the tree, cursed. He takes that, takes the wrath of God, the Lord has laid on upon him the iniquity of us all, and then he imputes or reckons our account his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, cursed as everyone hangs on a tree, that we might become the righteousness of God. And combined with John chapter 1, not born of the flesh, not born of blood, but born of the Spirit. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that background from Galatians, illuminating this text to full understanding, we now come back to the Deuteronomy text and we look at some interesting things it says. In the context historically, contextually, and then we consider the human race and why we're the church and who we are and what we're doing. If a man commits sin, well, look at that, verse 22. Back at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. If a man committed a sin, well, that if is the, not necessary. <laughs> when a man commits a sin. Again, the context is serious criminal penalty of capital punishment. But we know in God's universe Sin is sin. Sin is the choice to reject God's governance over us. When God made Adam in his image and made Eve from Adam, and the two of them there were sinless, a little Adam in a little garden, in a literal six-day creation, there in the garden, he gave them a choice. The tree of life, which really represents Christ, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Love has to have a choice, and they had a choice. It's not robotic. You can't make people love you. That's why marriage is always a step of faith because it's a journey to keep loving the person you committed to for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long it might be that you could live and enjoy that experience. Love's always a choice. God's given us free will and self-determination under his sovereignty as he runs his universe and leads his universe. And there, there was an opportunity of perfect governance where the things that we don't like, I don't like to see death at all. I don't like death, particularly in the animal kingdom. I've mentioned this many times. Everyone was an herbivore. Everyone. That T-Rex, he had those teeth, but he was chomping leaves. He was chomping leaves, not other dinosaurs, before sin. Because the Bible tells us that when Adam sinned, death entered the world. So before that, every single created creature in the universe was functioning in the economy of perfect life. 
eternal life. There was no sin. There was no death. We are told that death entered the world when Adam sinned. So there in the choice where Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that we're told in Romans chapter 5 that sin entered the world through Adam. And thus David would say in Psalm 51, in iniquity I was brought forth from my mother's womb. We are born sinners and every cell that multiplies from one cell in the womb to birth, the cells replicating all that unique DNA that makes up you and I who we are, there's a spiritual stain over every cell. And as the blood's doing what it's doing and the, and the baby's developing in the womb and then comes forth, that blood and the, the brain, the development, all of it, fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in Psalm 139 by David, as beautiful as that baby is, that baby has a sin nature in its DNA. The baby is going to sin. And of course, by the time they're two, their first word is not yes, it's no. It's rejecting your governance. Your son, your daughter is rejecting your governance. That's why it's so important to honor your father and your mother. And that's why it's so sad that the last days is people be haters and despisers of their parents, like communist nations teach their children to be when they raise their kids instead of their parents, which is not God's model ever. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.